it would be uh, the Bible and the news. Um, I like the idea of having things to talk about with people um, because I'm fairly social and not not everybody is that way. But I think even in the midst of everything that goes on in our world, even if we're not the kind of people that are, you know, engage all the time and talk to people about any and anything that comes along, I still think we need to know how we should be praying and how we should be thinking about the world that we're in and how we should be responding in our own thoughts because we constantly have external things brought to bear on our belief system, how we think, what we think, our emotions as well. And all of those can be easily enslaved to some degree, Um, even as Christians, though not so easily as Christians, but it's easy to get caught up in a wave of things. Um, So, I've given some thought to some time because I I, uh, like to pay attention to what's going on in the world and at the same time, um, don't want to become too sort of swept away in it. So, (coughs) I thought it would make sense to have a little study. It's... I guess it's kind of a cultural thing, uh, but just sort of letting, uh, you know, what's what's in the news, what's on people's minds, what's in the papers, what sort of is going on that ought to be able to cause us to reflect. Everything we should be able to do and think should cause us to reflect somehow on our fundamentally accurate, true Christian understanding of things for the for the love of Christ and for the glory of Christ, and for no other reason really than that, and. I think the other reasons get us into trouble. Karl Barth once said, take your Bible and take your newspaper and read both. But interpret newspapers from your Bible. Right? Who was Karl Barth, by the way? Does anyone know besides Gary? You know who Karl Barth was? Anyone else know who Karl Barth was? He was a theologian, yeah? German. Somebody said liberal? Uh Brother, you know a little more about him? I would classify him as neo-orthodox, mm-hmm. who has made some significant contributions. Some would think of him as the best theologian of the 20th century. Indeed, yes. Met him in college. Yep. Um, oh, did you? Yeah. He's borderline evangelical at best, but nevertheless is a, can be a valuable source for varieties of things. Written a lot on, um, you know... Culture, not culture, but the church and, and uh, politics and the intersection of the mm-hmm. two or mm-hmm. non-intersection, or whatever, whatever. Right, which is probably why he came up with it. No, I, I wanted you to to sort of give something that he was a swift reformed theologian, and as Gary said, many refer to him as one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century. Yet the average church person probably has not heard of him. Um, I studied him just a little bit. Um, in my master's program, not even enough, so much to remember, but he was basically around 1886 to 1968. Uh, I, I don't want to get distracted by who he was. I just I like that quote, and I think it's a good way to think of things. Um, but just something that Carson, D. A. Carson, said about Karl Barth. He said some people idolize Karl Barth as entirely in line with the heritage of John Calvin. Others demonize him as clearly emerging from one of the rims of Dante's Inferno. What's that a reference to, by the way? Who knows anything about Dante's Inferno? Who knows anything about the Divine Comedy? How old it was, where it comes from, what it was written about, what, what, what... Uh, Is that Voltaire? It, I'm sorry? Voltaire right there? Uh, no, I don't believe it was Voltaire. 
Dante. I kind of gave it away. <laughs> oh, yeah, but you wouldn't know that. It's not quite as obvious as Grant's tomb. It could be Dante's Inferno. It could be the name of the thing. But, yeah, it was a medieval piece of writing, and Dante was what? What was his, uh, what was his uh, religious persuasion? Catholic. Yeah, profoundly medieval Roman Catholic. And he wrote the Divine Comedy, which I know I read in high school, because I went to Catholic high school, but basically was an allegory about the thoughts of life and afterlife and penance and punishment and purging and, and all that kind of thing. And uh, I don't, I swear I don't do it justice at all by giving you that definition. It's one of the great, great writings of all time considered when it comes to, you know, that that century. So anyway, it's clearly emerging from one of the rims of Dante's Inferno. How many how many rims were there? How many levels were there? You remember? Yeah, somebody said seven? Yeah. Yeah, I think there were seven. I think you probably followed that number of perfection thing, you know? Um, it would be nice if every movement that came along... And this is something I want us to remember, okay? This is something that would humble us to think this way. It would be nice if every movement that came along was right from the throne room of God or right from the pit. So you could bless it or damn it and get on with life. But that is just not the way life is. Right? And that, I think, statement applies to my topic in general as we consider the culture we live in and you know what's commendable and what's damnable and how should we engage because we fear and have some trepidation to say well life is not black and white and others, others of us oh it's very black and white there's no gray area there's this there's that and sometimes if we would just stop and listen to ourselves it might do us all good at one point to just record ourselves for a day if we could record ourselves without knowing it you know just listen to what we sound like during the day. In addition to finding little things we would be annoyed with about ourselves, you know. We would. You'd find things. Oh, I said that. Oh, I sound like that. I said that too many times. I thought that. But it would, might be helpful. But anyway, um, sort of the biblical basis of my study is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Um, although I'll probably go all the way back to the first verse just so we get enough context. Um What's going on in Second Timothy anyway? Who wrote Second Timothy? Paul. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, what, what, what's Paul's situation in life right now? What, what's happening? Is he in prison? Yeah, yeah, he's in prison. He's looking at death, right? He's seeing the end. Uh, he's definitely he sees the finish line. You know, yeah. it's like that that lady marathon runner from Marblehead. You know, that she saved it all for the last three miles and put it on and won. Right? Just go, go, go. Right? Um, so Paul's looking at the end here and he's writing to Timothy who's you know, been his faithful co-worker and faithful servant in the things of Jesus the things of the church definitely the things of the church you then my child be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Okay? Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So, <clears throat> I thought of this verse in terms of how do we think about things that go on in the world? How involved should we be? Not necessarily politically. There's certainly a, a great place for that. Although I think this verse would have to be, would have to be sort of the daily 
thought of anyone involved directly in politics, but civilian affairs. So let's let's talk about a little bit the, the sort of imagery first of the illusion. So he says, suffer as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Certainly in that day, soldiers would know what suffering was. Right? That's in our day, I guess. That's in all days. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Anybody in here got military uh, experience? Mark? Just one of us. So, Ken. Uh, Ken, you were in the military. So, you know, having served... And thanks. It's Veterans Day, right? Like this weekend. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So, what would this? What does this mean? What's it mean to not get engaged in civilian affairs while you're in the military? What, what do you think this would mean? I mean, I, I think, I think it seems pretty obvious in the text here, but you know, I don't know. Mark. Uh, the thing that comes to mind is when I was in uh, I was in A school down in Memphis, Tennessee, and, and Memphis was really in a lot of turmoil. And there was a rumor among us, there was probably about 20,000 sailors and marines out in Millington, which is uh, half an hour, 45 minutes away from mm-hmm. Memphis. There was some rumor going around that we were we would be sent into Memphis to try to help straighten things out. It didn't happen, but uh, that would have been a very unusual circumstance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The military doesn't get involved in uh, the usual <coughs> turmoils, and I think things were going on in Memphis at that point. That was in 68... Uh, the whole country was kind of in a turmoil, but you don't call the military out to because uh, that's really uh, kind of an ultimate step mm-hmm. of uh, control by the government. Okay. Kent State. Kent State. Yeah. yeah. <coughs> Were you there? Kent State. You're kind of young, weren't you? Kent State. What about Kent State? What was Kent State? Um, other than other than uh, who's saying tin soldiers and Nixon's calling we're finally on our own this summer I hear them drumming four dead in Ohio What's, right is that the impetus to that song yeah the kids were, were protesting and the uh, military was called out to restore order yeah. and the way they generally do things is, is uh, pretty overbearing they mm-hmm. shot like you said they shot four kids mm-hmm. yes <coughs> but that was a uh, <coughs> they were poorly led um, and not, and they were just they were young, scared young men as well, mm-hmm. without a lot of direction and a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of leadership. Yeah. They would have, uh, you know, brought control to the situation mm-hmm. and brought uh, obviously. Yep. And, and, and why would they not get involved in those things? Other than it's outside of their sort of domain. What 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 about their domain? What is it that would what is it that keeps us from getting involved in other things? What do we fear? What do we not want to happen? Lose our focus on what the battle should be? Yeah, sure, yeah. You lose your focus. Yep, really lose your focus. So we certainly can always be in danger of losing focus. I, I think that's easier maybe for some of us than others. I, what are some of the things that we can lose our focus in? What are some of the things you lose focus in? And sort of your in life or, or maybe your focus is not what it should be anyway but given given that our focus is this life in Christ and all of the things that go with that I mean that we could bring so many scriptures to bear on that but what what sort of things distract you I can tell you what distracts me more than anything um, and I've shared it before and my, my wife says you know me and, and Sarah have both noticed it's so much more easily agitated lately, you know. 
And I said, shut up! No. I said, <laughs> but you know why? It's the same thing. It's a lesson I continue to learn over and over and over again. And it's time for me to do another one of my 40 days Fox News fasts. That's what I call my Fox News fasts. I mean, not just listening to Fox News. I use that to illustrate something bigger. I get way too caught up in the madness of it. Listen to start listen, started listening to a little more talk radio than I should. And I find, this, it, it, and it happens every time, and every time it, it begins to show itself, and I sort of deny it until it, until it costs something, right? Is I just am more agitated. I'm more on edge. I'm more ready to spring into action. You know, I'm just more, I'm just, I'm just more of a jerk. You know what I mean? It, it really is. Um, I just am more. Mm, my frustration over things is heightened to a certain level. And so I know that's a loss of focus for me. Um, and, and, you know, and it's very intertwined with our worldview. So I suppose there are worse things I could lose focus on. Um, not, not to... I don't, I don't want to sound holier than now. I, I think I'd, in some ways, for me, I'd rather be tangled up in that than tangled up in... Sports 24-7. You know what I mean? Um, that doesn't mean that you're in, caught up in sports 24-7. You're not as cool as me. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> That's odd. <laughs> the privilege to witness the gospel to a person who's come to the orchard for a long time uh, to a church group from a church, actually, that I left 35 years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, so I know a lot about the church and the pastor. And, I mean, the pastor literally just said on the CBC channel that this kind of pastor they have um, that uh, John was probably in a uh, drug-induced oh, yeah. delusion. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Sure uh, when he wrote Revelation. Yeah. Man, yeah. Okay, here we go. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, this this fellow goes to that church, and and of course it's a it's a UCC socially gospel, social gospel. And uh, mm-hmm. I confronted him with uh, Luke 13. I said, "Go home and read it." Mm-hmm. And I says, "What does Jesus do? You have a a social justice issue. Mm-hmm. Blood has been spilt in our temple, Lord Jesus. And what are you going to do about it?" He's confronted by the Jews. And what does he do? He he totally neglects the topic. Mm-hmm. And, and the matter that's most important to the people who came to him uh, on that social justice issue. And he basically says, "By the way, you really think?" You're any better than the ones who were killed by the Tower of Siloam or those who were killed in the temple? And unless you repent, you're going to die in your sins too? Now, if I said that today, mm-hmm. I'd be a bigot, mm-hmm. insensitive, mm-hmm. and the labels would just keep following. Mm-hmm. But it really does show the stark contrast between what's going on in the world, what's important to God. Mm-hmm. Spiritual souls. So, And I'm not saying that... that that politics, that social issues aren't important, but as Mary made a better choice, we have to make a better choice too. What's what furthers the kingdom of God? And uh, I'm with you. I can get caught up in all that political mm-hmm. stuff just as madly as mm-hmm. anybody else. But it, it 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 it's a it's a merry-go-round. It comes back from back. Tony, what things sort of distract your focus? Well, just a. Uh, a little bit maybe more to add on to that is that not only did we lose our focus but the void gets filled with something else mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so our priority list gets altered 
and something mm -hmm. else rises to the top other than glorifying God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so your your approach sounds a little more retreatist. No, I'm balanced. I'm I, I'm, I'm looking at balance because uh -huh. I will actually use the very social issues to okay, bring the gospel okay. and to bring it to a, a, a more important level. Good. I, I don't abandon and that's the, the point. social issues. Yeah, that's the point. And I read up to make certain that right. I know about current social issues. You right. have to. Yep. We're, we're just we're right. burying our heads in the sand if we just come out as right. these religious people who are spiritually minded and have no clue what's going on in the world. Good. Good. I wanted you to clarify that. Yeah. Good. To amplify that point, you reminded me of a book that I read by John Stott on preaching. I forget the title of it. Mm -hmm. But he was advocating um, the keeping connected with mm -hmm. culture right. uh, otherwise your your preaching will be in a, a vacuum yeah. uh, and he said that he has a team of people that he goes to the movies with once a month Good. they, they oh. have a selective nice. choice of movies that they go to for the purpose of trying to educate themselves yep. in a way of what is in the eyes of the public nice yeah yeah what's what's happening what's popular what's the number one what are some of the big shows streaming on you know uh what are some of the big shows streaming on Netflix, right, Sandy? I mean, what what are some of the big things? What are people watching? Why is it the number one series? All right, some of that we can watch. Some of some of it we we just don't want to. You know what I mean? Um, but what's going on with that? Because I can tell you right now, there's a reason why that stuff gets people's attention. Mm -hmm. There's a reason why there's there are things going on with that show. Uh, in, in this particular case, and the reason why I deferred to Sandy was this show, Stranger Things on Netflix and I heard it was one of the biggest sort of things and I thought it was absolutely fantastic uh, somebody else might watch and think well that's kind of weird that guy's teaching Sunday school and he thinks that show was fantastic But and, and then she sent me a great article in the Gospel Coalition and if the Gospel Coalition publishes it then it's cool right <laughs> I sent a great article in the Gospel Coalition talking about the theme of friendship and how friendship is necessary in overcoming evil uh, just great themes that show up in things and we can be so easily sort of put off by anything in the world that we throw up a wall that prevents us from finding common something a touch point something with which we can touch the culture with as a means of opening the door to maybe get at spiritual things but remembering also that and this is always um, ah, it's not a slippery slope but I want to do more than just give people the gospel. People are not just there for me to give the gospel to. That's one of the things that I hope to do in glorifying God. But we want to be careful not to treat people as just Project. gospel projects or gospel fodder. Because that can lead to other dangerous things as well. Um, it, can, it, can, it can lead to some... It, it, it's what happens in some real fundamental independent circles, you know. If you go back and read about some of the movements over even the 20th, 20, 20th century like Jack Hiles and some of these other really dangerous people that did dangerous things and put dangerous weights on people to carry. Um, so, I think that there's room for... But again, not for everyone. Because remember, the church... This is another thing we must remember. The church is made up of all kinds of people. We are all together the church. And not every single one of us is going to do every single thing the way everyone else does. I think of David when he put on Saul's armor. He said, I, I, I can't. This ain't me. I can't fight with this. we got to be like that too. I don't want your armor. and You shouldn't want my armor. There is a suit of armor 
particularly suited to you. Find out what it is and, and go to war with it, you know? So, the culture becomes a place where we can think. The things we see in the news are things we can think about. We can see what's happening out there. Why is it happening? And what's going on with it? Knowing the culture, I think, is part of, is part of, our, of our gospel ministry. I mean, it has to be done. And I do understand also, there's the other side of this where Paul didn't get wrapped up in fighting against slavery because they weren't fighting against slavery in that day. There were some zealots that were going to war and you know, lots of zealots got you know, caught up in things. Uh, but Paul may not have gotten involved in sort of the slavery question, but sometimes we even ask that question from our own experience of American slavery, which is vastly different than what went on over there. But we see that the beginning of the freedom of the human soul and the, the realization and human flourishing that the gospel brings, right? Because we're incomplete until we're complete in Christ. We see the impact of that. Over time, it did away with the institution of slavery. It did away with So, ours is a place where we continue to give glory to God in the, in the world that we find ourselves in at this time and in this place so that we can with sort of gospel-shaped thoughts and everything, be useful for the world we're in. Not just for giving money to the poor, which is great. Not just giving to drinks to people that are thirsty, but as I like to say, giving a you know a tall, cool think to people. So what do we see some of the things? And by the way, I think Al Mola does this pretty well. You know? Al Mola does this pretty well. Maybe next week I'll look at something specific he did that I thought was great um, very recently. Um, and then there's something we have to be aware of and then, so, so let's back up a second so to not get entangled right, is to not lose that focus and if anyone came in we're, we're talking a little bit about 2 Timothy and not being you know, no soldier engaged in active service becomes entangled in civilian life and that word entangled is only used twice by the way in the whole of the New Testament the word that we translate is entangled the second one is in 2 Peter 2.20 um for if they escape the defilements of the world through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. Okay? If after having escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become for them worse than the first. So I think this entangled is really a strong thing. It's really getting distracted. It's really getting put off. It's really, and, and it's very easy for this to happen if people aren't thinking the right way about things. And, uh, and we see it go on. One of the difficulties we have today, of course, is getting accurate news. And accurate sort of... This, uh, I was listening a little to Cheryl Atkinson. I don't know if you know who... Does anyone know who Cheryl Atkinson is? S-H-A-R-Y-L-L Atkinson. Okay, so she's an award-winning... She was with CBS News for 20 years, an award-winning journalist. She left CBS a few years ago. Uh, about three years ago, she wrote her first book called Stonewalled. It was about the impossibility of getting information out of the then the Obama administration because of being stopped at every juncture to get information about whatever the topic was. Uh, her computer ended up being hacked by the government. Um, things were implanted into her hard drive. Her cell phone would turn itself on at night. All these things which are very easy to do with certain technology. Um, drones over her house. I know it sounds like the stuff of bizarre conspiracy theory, right? But very 
stuff is not difficult to do. It happens all the time. We do it to foreign nations everywhere. Um, but things that were happening to her as she was getting close to certain things, whether it had to do with Benghazi or, or whatever. And she's not a, she, very hard to tell what her political persuasion is. I really like that about her. Very difficult to tell. Uh, but her whole focus, uh, and then she just wrote another book called The Smear. I have not read it yet. It's on my Christmas list. And this is all about how everything that we're presented with in the news is basically controlled by probably four or five major money sources and how music and context and all these things are used to shape and influence public opinion. And she said, Where's her? I was watching a little thing that she said, and she said that this is, there's three major problems right now with people in news media. She said the first is that the line between news and opinion has become completely blurred. Okay, that it's... And it's very hard to separate news from opinion. What are you getting? Are you getting someone's opinion? Or are you actually getting news? Because over time, words have been redefined and reused and chiseled and reshaped. And it's very difficult to know now. Wait a minute, am I getting an opinion or am I getting some facts? She said the second thing is, <clears throat> there's a personal animus that various reporters have over people they dislike. So she gave the example in the one case of... Um, when Barack Obama has said that I've been to 57 states, well, obviously he meant 47, you know. And, you know, yeah, there were some <clears throat> idiot conservatives that, you know, got all in a frenzy over that. Oh, he's so stupid, he doesn't even know. Of course he knows his 50 states, right? And the media gave him a free pass, most of the media, which is fine. There was no reason to make a big deal out of that. But then when, um, and again, I'm not doing this to bring up, politics per se. I'm just giving you her perspective on what's wrong in the media today because it fits into what I, I want us to learn. She said that on the other hand, when Sarah Palin talked about our peace treaties with North Korea and she meant South Korea, the news stations were all over her relentlessly. You know. So she said personal animus, per people's personal commitments to a particular point of view makes it very difficult for them to be in any way objective. And then she said, the third thing is, you would be amazed at how many reporters, journalists now are really tools of the politicians and the spinmeisters. They're told by a politician or this particular interest group, look, get this wording out there this way when you do this story, and I'll get you the next sort of big story. Okay? So, and they may even give them certain words to use. Okay? Um, so it's very difficult. We have to understand this up front, I think, to get accurate news but that doesn't excuse us from finding out fact and if you're like me it, it tends to be in our nature to want to hear the things repeated that you already believe in and a lot of the news today and a lot of the access to information has really become an exercise in eating you know and, and getting the food that we want and, and just sort of listening to what we want to listen to not listening to an alternative point of view because this is what makes us feel satisfied. We even get to feel, we even get to like our rage. We, we like that feeling. We like that passionate feeling that rises up in us. And I'm not saying that's all bad, but so, but we have a responsibility as Christians. The Christian mind should be the sharpest minds out there. We don't have the option of just getting caught up in some of the emotional silliness that goes on out there. And a lot of it happens. Give me some examples of things that get completely carried away in the news that Christians easily get swept up in. How about Honestly. alternate truth? I'm sorry? How about 
alternate truth. All right, well, elaborate a little bit. That's every day. Uh-huh. Okay, so how do Christians it's, get it's, sort of it's caught a, up in it's it? It's an absolute lie. Okay. So Christians participate in the absolute lie as well. I can believe it. Uh-huh. I think so. Larissa? Um, when the recent Beauty and the Beast movie came out, mm. and there was this huge upset about the homosexual tendency of one of the characters in the movie, uh-huh. and it took the Christian world by storm. Oh, jeez, yeah. And that's ridiculous. Uh, another time, I remember now that you're mentioning that, I remember reading the King James Only controversy, I think it was. And there were certain groups that made a huge deal out of the fact that there was a lesbian scholar on the NIV translation committee. And therefore, the NIV is a demonically inspired Bible. When she was really just, she was a scholar that had some skill in she certain languages. Um, so yeah, okay, thanks. She wasn't even really a part of the translational. Okay, right. Right, things get crazy, right? And that's part of the whole, you know, we'll probably, that's going to come up. That particular subject is going to come up, I think, in our in our study as well. That that issue and how that is bantered around. And uh, Yes? I've heard, I've heard Christians say in very big brushes, and I, of course everybody knows me, I hate big brushes because mm-hmm. they're unsustainable. Where, but they cover more area. <laughs> yeah, they cover a lot of area, but... You know, where you can find the untruth, you also find truth. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea that, well, if someone unsaved wrote it, a biography, well, how could you trust it? Right. Yeah, sure. So being suspicious, that's a good one. Being suspicious of anything an unbeliever says. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. We shouldn't be that way. Mm-hmm. To some extent, we are. And to some extent, it's sort of justified. I mean, again, here's that area where... It becomes very difficult once somebody has really made a fool of themselves to take them seriously. So there may be certain media personalities who say the most bizarre things. And it's very difficult the next time you see them to not want to say, okay, I'm going to pretend this person never said all the foolish things. You can't, you can't unknow something about people, you know? Um, okay, so, so those are some of, the, some of the things that are getting away. Uh, it's very important for us to have accurate information so as to overcome, I think, this is a great big thing in our culture today. And I call it feelings of injustice. Feelings of injustice. Things that people, if it were true, we have this experience where if something actually were true, we'd really be annoyed about it. Or it would really get to us. It's presented as true and we feel that emotion and then we go with it. If we are in emotions, we need them. But we are so quick to just go with our emotions because it feels better than, and it's easier to emote than to think. It's a lot easier to emote than to think. A good example of this, and again, maybe there, I have seen articles, and maybe this will come up. But a good example of this would be, um, okay, there's a pay a pay gap between men and women. That's a very simple statement. And a lot of women would immediately get on their high horse about that and say, yeah, yeah, you know, why? Just because they're a woman, because there's a general sense of unfairness or whatever. And when the facts point to something, a completely different story. Well, that's just a little fraction of, it's it's a very general statement that is, when you look at what's going on underneath, completely unsubstantiated and unreasonable to continue to reassert over and over again. But it's been said over and over again so many times that particularly our young women hear it, and they just joined a false feminine crusade, crusade. Okay? And there are other things like that that come up in the news that I want us to look at. And I want us to feel that sense of, you know, what do I feel strong about emotionally? Because that's where we can become entangled. Our emotions, I think, become the place of entanglement 
when it comes to things that are going to distract us from the gospel. Yes? Um, just been hanging around with Susie. <laughs> 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 That's the first thing. Wow! What a, talk about covering yourself. I got I still watch the news, but um, I really have this attitude as as seen on TV. Yeah. You know, gadgets and stuff. Yeah. Always so wonderful. Oh sure. So I now watch the news as okay, seen on as seen on TV. But I do want to make a point. I wish that guy in North Korea would either bomb us or not. Yeah. <laughs> because if he does, I'm not going to bother cleaning my cellar. All right. And then, you know, if I clean my cellar and then he bombs us, why? That's it tremendous. That's absolutely tremendous. Yes. Yes. I, I think you should send that. We should get that North Korea Trump. That'd make a great tweet. Look, either bomb us or not. I don't want to clean the cellar this weekend. It's so practical, I can't stand it. Yeah. As a Christian community, too, certainly evangelically, um, and I've tried to strike the balance in my own teaching, too. I mean, studying the book of Revelation, Mm. there's a major overall conspiracy that Satan has to deceive the world. Mm. On the other hand, yeah. the church grabs a hold of that concept yeah. and there's a conspiracy in everything. Very good, yeah. And, and once again, you, get, you have to balance it with good information mm-hmm. rather than just <coughs> Christian information, too. Mm-hmm. We can have our own false presuppositional yeah. news that sure. we believe, but yeah, it's been said in the Christian community yep. so often, sure. we believe it is thank true, but it may not be. Exactly. Gotta, so gotta be willing to hear that. Yeah, gotta be so, willing to. So I, the conspiracy, but I, the conspiracy aspect of it has really driven Christianity a lot. Mm. The last, I would say, the last 30, 40 years for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yes, Susan. Uh, as an example of what Todd just said is, I don't know why people just because someone is a Christian or says they're a Christian mm-hmm. that we automatically believe them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Case in point, this thing with judges. Uh huh. That's that's currently in the news. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Just because, you know. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and that's, you know, he's a good, he might be a good topic uh, to bring up next week. Um, so I say, how do we look at that? Because it's very important that we look at that. The other thing is, the enemy, to Todd's point, the enemy knows, and C.S. Lewis in Screw Tape Letters knows, right? You want to read about, right, how do you trip up a Christian, right? Read C.S. Lewis's Screw Tape Letters, because that's all about a guy that's getting a PhD in how to trip up Christians, right? Mm-hmm. So, but how do you, so I think the enemy, when these things happen, he uses these things and he knows how to, I don't know how he does it, you know, but he knows how, he has access to our emotions, he has access to our thoughts, he knows how to get us riled up, he knows how to help damage the Christian testimony in the world. And uh, we shouldn't be people that have nothing to say. Um, we should be people as a church that has something to say about everything. No one person should say something about everything, but we as a church should have something to say about everything. We are, we are, mm-hmm. what we are, the, what the world is missing in terms of an Encyclopedia Britannica. That's who the church should be mm-hmm. in terms of being able to say how do we think about truth and all these things that we've talked about in here before. Now we're just getting a little item specific. I want to use this one that I got out of the news two weeks ago. No, Sunday, October twenty-second. And this has to do with um, this has to do with Holy Cross College and a movement from within. Um, this past February, 48 faculty members signed a letter to the editors of the student newspaper, The Crusader, 
encouraging a change in the paper's name to be put up for discussion. The letter cited, quote, granting a growing anti-Muslim tensions, end quote, in the country and observed that a Ku Klux Klan publication bears the same name as the college paper. I said, well, this is, this is exactly the kind of story I think it's important to talk about, to, get a, to, to, to say, where's our mind on this? What, how, how do we think about this? And like many, men, like many of you, I think my first thought would be, oh, what a bunch of idiots, you know? Oh. You know, and again, that's where that emotion comes in, and then it becomes easy to just sort of emote about it. But what do we, so how do we hear this? How do we process this? How do we not become entangled in it? Um, and I know that's hard to do on, on just an issue-specific thing. A few, a few articles, a few people quoted in the article, Tommy Heinsohn, you know who Tommy Heinsohn is? Yeah, who's Basketball, uh, Celtics. Okay, thank you. So uh, he says, I'm so tired of political correctness. Why even have this discussion? He said, when he played for Holy Cross in the 50s, the school symbols, the crusader and the color purple were meaningful rally points. He said, I'm not against changing anything, but if they're doing it for political correctness, please. Okay? That's his take. Uh, the Reverend Burroughs. Once this slippery slope, once on the slippery slope, what must be changed? How about the name of the school? After all, the KKK has used a burning cross as a symbol. Clearly offensive. Good point. Should we get rid of the cross altogether? Good point. Why? Just because the KKK has corrupted it? Taken it to mean something else? What else would we end up getting rid of? Right? I mean, how many, how many people, uh, how many women really want to abandon women's rights because, uh, because someone like a Gloria Steinem has come along and abused that whole idea of women's rights to advance her own political lesbian agenda? Right? Uh, among other things, which may or may not be legitimate. How many people are willing to say, well, we should just do away with feminism altogether because Gloria Steinem's a feminist and look what she does. Nobody, I would think, of reasonable mind. Okay. Um, and then uh, somebody also had said, the crusader stands for the defense of the Catholic faith. And while there were admittedly abuses, we must not fall into the trap of, quote, presentism, end quote, as historians like to term judging people in the past by present day morality. So this obviously brings up the bigger picture of this whole word, the crusade thing. This touches on a very old subject and sort of the common, like, like okay, so why, why does somebody in, this, in their protest have to mention we should consider doing this because of the growing anti-Muslim tensions? Well, why are there growing anti-Muslim tensions? Because you've got more Muslims. And, and, and what's the big deal with that? I'm sorry? Extremism. Yep, extremism, yep. Well, I mean, in one sense, it's because you just keep bringing up the subject. Yeah, yeah, this is what keeps coming up. <laughs> There's more tension because you keep bringing up the subject. Maybe mm-hmm. there'd be less tension mm-hmm. if you didn't just bring it up as if there were mm-hmm. tension. Yep. Uh, is, it, is it, you know, so in my mind, it's okay, what do I need to know? In, in, this, in this case, what do we need to know? If we're going to give some sort of a informed opinion on this. What do we need to know if we were going to give an opinion on this and someone to engage you in conversation? Or if you were to, so inclined to pray about it, you know, Brother Gary's praying for Holy Cross before he goes over there and mops the floor with the you know, teenagers on the basketball court, you know. How are you going to pray for that school in light of this, right? What, what, what do you need to know about this topic before you can really... A lot more than you do. A lot more than you do, right? What... 
What specific topics might you need to know a little more about? The Crusades. Who said that? Yeah, the Crusades. Right? And how were the Crusades typically presented? Well, when you think Crusades, or if you were to mention Crusades to someone that you work with, school with, or whatever, what would you typically hear? Well, you'd think it was an aggression against uh, innocent Muslims who were just hanging around, just yeah. you know, hanging out there in the Middle East. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's you know, it's, it's uh, ignorance. fair. Ignorance, man. That's fair, but even if it wasn't to that sort of extreme, the general view of the Crusades is that it was this sort of, you know, anti-Muslim bigotry, um, mm. that we're not. Now, will the average person even know what the Crusades are? Probably not. Or why they... We have to understand, because, you know, Todd made, pointed to some scriptures, and they're things that were said in a very religious society. Mm-hmm. Very religious. Uh, Martha and Mary were probably fairly strictly observant Jews. My co-worker, I mean, the lady in the next sort of booth over, I asked her the other day, I said, oh, what a great quote. I had just read a quote from C.S. Lewis. I said, you know who C.S. Lewis is? No. I said, wow, okay, so it's good to know. i got to remember. Then I went on to quote to her something he said about Jesus and then just made a point about Lewis's point. Um, because it isn't as though what he said can't be accessed in some way by the unbeliever. But they don't know who C.S. Lewis is. They don't know he was a Christian apologist. They wouldn't know what that meant in the first place. Right? You've got to remember who you're talking to and sort of what you're dealing with. Now, in this case, you're talking about the leadership of the church, which is obviously going to have... Uh, I'm sorry, of the school, which because they're, you know, devoutly... What are, they, are they Jesuit? Uh, have a particular Jesuit Christ, uh, Catholic understanding about things. And... Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, even as Christians, we have to be able to say, okay, um, yeah, this was the Crusades were sort of a Roman Catholic thing versus a Protestant thing. We don't want to really talk about it that way because we didn't really sort of make, I mean, there were distinctions made between the Eastern and Western Christianity to go way back, but we don't even begin to talk about that distinction in Roman Catholicism until we come to the Reformation and we see Luther's attempts to reform what was going on in the Catholic Church, the Church Universal, in, 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 in his view, and in, in their view at the time. So, but the but the truth about the Crusades, I mean, you don't have to know a whole lot. I think there are some things we can access. We know that, for example, you have to go back to the beginning. Muhammad started out a bloodthirsty murderer. Period. End of story. That's fact. There's no there's no debating that. If somebody doesn't want to agree with that, then you got to say, you know what? I, it's not my responsibility to have a discussion with you. You don't want to go look it up and then we'll have some more conversation. But I'm not going to fully educate you on it. I'm willing to give you what is widely accepted and well known that Muhammad was a violent man from the get-go. Period. If we can't begin there, we can't begin anywhere. Because that's the truth. And that was in the 600s. Okay? Period. He was a very violent man. The spread of Islam, the spread of Islam by violence, of the Muslim religion by violence. Period. And they began to conquer and to take over. And they took over areas that were widely Christian. Egypt, Syria, all kinds of lands. Spain, they got into Spain. For years and years and years. There was 400 and something years before there was any kind of a response from Christians. Yes? Um, To me, it 
just a word, mm-hmm. the crusade. Mm-hmm. I, I'm thinking yes. these people are taking the whole thing out of context. Yes. And um, the same with some football team mm-hmm. used to be the Indians, and that was uh, Redskins. Uh huh. Right. Yeah. Um, and so they were, right. you know, oh no, no, that's not politically mm-hmm. correct. So aren't we giving them? Um, you know, just roll. I think we're wasting too much time mm-hmm. on on these silly little things, mm-hmm. that are just word games. Mm-hmm. You know. But I think what goes into, um, and, and again, not everything is going to be sort of for every sort of person to engage in. But I think in this case, for example. If someone, let's say you're going to be drawn into a discussion about this, whatever, I, I, you could take that particular opinion, kind of like Tommy Heinsohn did. Say, look, we're talking about words, this is silly. But the point that they're making is that the, the term Crusaders, which is also their sports team, somehow this represents oppression against Muslims. Okay? Now, we can easily say to them, oh, that's ridiculous. How can you believe such a thing? But they do believe such a thing. And sort of the point of, 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 of all this that I want to get to is, are the main the, the, the popular culture's understanding of the Crusades and why this even gets in the news is because mostly Western high ivory tower elites have given this idea. I mean, the Muslims never thought in terms of Crusades. I was reading an interesting a bit. They never even had a word in Arabic for Crusades until the 18th century. They never thought of this as a big, that kind of thing more than any other involvement against Christians that they ever had. It was it was people coming out of like the 16th century, 18, mostly 18th century, that began to sort of make this thing about the Crusades went well beyond what it was. Um, but it's important that we understand what that means because these people are somehow suggesting they ought to drop something that is historically... This goes in with the statue thing in some ways as well. That is historically significant and how history is being distorted. And I think there's a significance to that. And I think particularly because it's a, it involves the Christian faith, it gives us an opportunity to talk about and see maybe what errors there were as well. But to say, why is this in any way... Before we can ask someone, why is this important? And they start giving an answer. And the answer may be factually completely misconstrued. We need to be able to say... You know, you really misunderstood on this. Are you open yeah. to a little bit of education on it? Or is this just a position you're going to go with? Then let me know. I'm going to waste my time. But if you want to, I think you seriously misunderstand some things here. You know what I mean? And we need to be able to think about that as well. Why? Because I think it's, it's still a way of... I just think there's something powerful about truth. I just think there's something about reality. We, we need to live in reality. I, I think Christians should be in the business of presenting reality, of, of bringing reality into fantasy land. You know what I mean? We, we kind of live in this bubble going through our the culture. and we have, a, we have an obligation, I think. I, I think we have an obligation. I, I, to me, it glorifies God every much as pruning a beautiful tree does. Yeah. I, I 100% agree with you. Mm-hmm. And I think when you come down to it, the attack is really on truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the bottom line. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and the, the more time goes on, the more and more layers we have to peel back before we can even get to what's really, really important. And the question is, how hard... Now, how hard is the work? Well, in, in, in ancient times, you, you got arrested and killed for it. We don't get arrested and killed for it now, but we've got intellectual work to do 
You know, we, we always have that work to do. And if our goal isn't to love, if, if it's not an opportunity to bring love, Christian love, then it's a waste of time anyway. Right? So, it, it should make us ask ourselves, how, are we loving people? How does it, what does it mean to love people in the situations of discussions that come up at work? How do I love, again, say this were to come up, it's not unlikely or unusual that this would come up. There are certain people I work with that I swear they just look for pressure points. They are ideological acupuncturists. <laughs> you know? They look for a place to apply pressure where they can get some sort of a reaction. And so... Some of my friends do that to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. I mean, it, it, it's... It, and I guess it takes some work to sort of... Uh, to separate the chaff from the wheat with it and find out who's really interested in talking and who's just being a mouthpiece. But even I think sometimes if someone's just being a mouthpiece... I don't think there's anything unhealthy about if there's other people around correcting that person even though they're not going to receive the correction in the presence of other people who hear it. You know what I mean? So, uh, you know, look, look, watch, what, pay attention to what's happening. In the world. There's going to be a, there's a couple of other subjects that I want to bring up and go through and say how do we think about it. But in this particular case, let's just say this. So, does anyone, can anyone sort of give a little summary of what the Crusades were? Does he feel confident? Uh huh. What, what very little do you have? Maybe well, we can join it to my very little. The Muslims were trying to create an empire. Mm-hmm. Very much like they're trying to do now within the mm-hmm. Islamic State. Mm-hmm. And they did take over Jerusalem, which was considered the holy land. Mm-hmm. And the Roman Catholics, um, of course, considered that a holy mm-hmm. place. Mm-hmm. And they sent out the Crusaders. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that, but in the, in the process, they went so much further mm-hmm. and uh, there was a thing where if you, they would hold the, um, the cross with the monstrous which is what held the Eucharist mm-hmm. and if you didn't bow to that mm-hmm. you were slain mm-hmm. yeah there were certain there were definitely certain factions that did that yep yeah, I want Alex to answer that <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know much about Crusades yeah I don't know a ton other than um, you know there was no Christian response to the Crusades for a good 450 something years and a lot of things sort of got... It, it wasn't always what you see presented as, oh, it was just... A, some have said it was an attempt to just get advantage. It cost people enormous amounts of money to get embattled in the Crusades. It cost an individual person perhaps all their land and everything. The Crusades were extremely expensive. There was no material benefit to be had. There was a certain sense of you could get penance as part of your penance. Okay. And so he's saying, well, okay, so if you go to war and kill a Muslim, that gets you penance. No, the thought was, since we're being attacked some ways, then it's right it's right to lay down my life for my friend. Because that's, that's what you should do. Is, that should be part of your penitent life, to lay down your life for your friend. And so to go and fight against and to defend against. So a lot of these other points of view came into mind. It wasn't just a, I'm going to spread Catholicism by taking out Muslims. Uh, a lot of it was this sense of going into these places. The, the Christians thought it was very important, you know, if they could get to the Holy Land, they thought that was part of their... Now, this is wrong theology. By going there, that would somehow help their spiritual life before God, right? Um, I mean, just as a direct result of having done it. So, therefore, we have to go and capture that land back because we have to get there. You know, so a lot of things came into play, but it's not at all... It's not even deserving of thinking that you need to change the name of it. 
and we have, there's a, there's an anti-intellectual wave going on in this country, um, and Christians I think have a profound responsibility to, because if if it goes too far, we can't even have discussions. With, there's no common Christians need to preserve intellectual thought. We have an, we always have. Christians have always been the great intellects um, of the world, always. The greatest, some of the greatest ideas have come from it. Yeah, yeah the pastors back in the 1700s, 1600s, especially in America here, were considered the most educated person mm-hmm. anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, they went to him for because he was a man of knowledge. Yeah. in school. Yeah, informed. Yes, that was before there was this separation in thinking. That again, this is the difference that we've spoken about before here. The difference between empiricism and all other knowledge. In other words. The only knowledge we can rely on is knowledge accessed through the five senses. This happened after the Enlightenment, which would have interfered, you know, like you were saying, back in New England, congregational New England, when the pastors were also the, the scholars, they were respected. Because knowledge then was, was much more whole. You, you, you knew things, philosophy and everything were well-respected intellectual pursuits, not just considered something different than the sciences. When that split happened... It was a great success of the enemy. A great success of the enemy, I think. And, and, and again, our human nature. But that's the battleground. Part of the battleground. So we'll do more of this. And uh, pay attention to what's going on on the news. Have an opinion. And be ready to sort of say, how do we think about this? And how do we pray about this? How do we pray about my... How do I love my neighbor? Right? All right, Alex, pray for us, please. Lord, we thank you that you have given us resources and faculties to think through these things. And we pray, Lord, that we wouldn't get swept up in the civilian pursuits, but that we would keep our eyes on your glory and that we would keep our eyes focused on the fact that we are yet strangers and sojourners, Lord, and that our kingdom is not America nor any other nation on earth, but that our kingdom is with you as our divine king ruling over us. And we pray, Lord Jesus, come, please come, return soon. And we thank you for the service this morning, Lord. I pray for our brother as he opens your word and as we come before you, Lord, to sing songs and praise. We just pray, Lord, that you would quicken our spirits, that you would enlighten us by.